All right, so we'll, we'll start with our trivia question. And for the people who are taking kids, they get to escape my hard question. So good for them. Why did God do the exodus in the way that he did, right? So if you think back to, you know, Charlton Heston or Val Kilmer, depending on your generation. I just know, so I saw a thing the other day that the Prince of Egypt turned 25 this year. This year. So maybe Val Kilmer is for the older generation and the Prince of Egypt is also for the older generation now. I'm, I'm used to being the, the kids, and that's not me anymore. But like, there had to be an easier way to do things than the plagues, the Passover, the Red Sea, the, you know, the manna, the quail, the water from the rock, the Ten Commandments. Like, surely there's a more efficient way to get your people out of slavery. So the question is, why did God do things the way that he did? Stand over there. <laughs> yeah. So it's not shining on my face? Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right. Any thoughts why God did the Exodus and just the overwhelming, miraculous way that He did? Okay. Let me, let me, you got thoughts? Well, sure. Yeah. He, he, he was showing His authority over other gods. Okay. Okay, so there's authority over or supremacy over Egypt. Let me let me give you ten verses from Exodus and see if this helps. You know, there's ten plagues, there's ten commandments. Like ten is a good Exodus number. Um, so here we go. Exodus six seven. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 7.5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt. 7.17. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. 8.10. Moses says, be it as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. 8.22, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Do I need to do the next slide? Are we seeing the theme yet? Why did, I'm just going to trust that we can get it in five instead of ten. I have 15 more if we need them. Um, why did the Lord do the exodus in the way that he did? What was his goal? So that they would know that he is God. Yeah, God did all of this miraculous stuff in the book of Exodus so that God would be known. Um, but, but just that, that simple idea that God wants to be known leads us to a problem. And that's that God is creator, we are creature, and how does a creature know God, right? How does Hamlet get to know Shakespeare? How does Spider-Man get to know Stan Lee? How does Kermit the Frog get to know Jim Henson? Right? There's, there's this, this wall, this ceiling between creature and creator where creature can never know creator. Right? It creates quite a predicament for God. Right? So um, Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. This makes it more clear than talking about the Muppets. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. So God wants to be known, 
but he can't be known. How do we fix this problem, right? We finished the Bible verse, um, Matthew eleven twenty seven. No one knows the son except the father, and the, no one knows the father except the son, and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Right? It's only through God's own revelation of himself that he can be known by his creatures. And so today we're starting to talk about the doctrine of revelation, which, which is basically answering this question How can we know God? The answer because God has made himself known. Follow up question Where has God made himself known? Any, any answers? The scripture. Where else? Creation. Where else? Somebody said in their hearts. Good answer. Given it's Sunday school, I was thinking we were going to say Jesus. Um, because that's the, always the Sunday school answer, which is a great answer. You know, Jesus, when uh, Philip asks, hey, are you going to show us God? says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Um, but yeah, through Jesus and our hearts, through creation, through Scripture. Um, when, when Kelvin was talking about, sorry, I keep stepping in front of the light, which I'm not supposed to do. When Kelvin spoke about the doctrine of Revelation, he says God has written two books. The book of Scripture and the book of Nature. We would call Scripture special revelation which we'll get to next week, and we would call creation natural revelation. And because evangelicals love the Bible and we rush to the Bible, we really never think about natural revelation, and I think it would be good for us to you know, fight that instinct and talk about it a second. So natural revelation is this idea that we know God through his word. Yeah? God makes reveals himself in multiple ways. Like the people who are educated he uses the Bible. Mm -hmm. But people that are primitive who have never seen the printed word he reveals himself through creation. Yep. He, he lets them believe on, on him by looking around and giving him credit for making it. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're on the same page here, right? Just like you can learn some things about, I don't know, the man Rembrandt by looking at one of his paintings, you can learn a bit or two about Da Vinci and his skills by his diagrams from his statues. You can learn about God by what he's done and what he's made. Um, so when we're talking natural revelation, I think three categories are helpful, creation, conscience, and reason. And so when I say creation, that's the most obvious, right? Um, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1.20, God's attributes have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Or in Acts 14.17, um, in arguing about God's kindness, we read, yet God did not leave himself without witness. He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So, so creation itself teaches us about God. We know about his glory, his power, his divinity, his kindness. 
just by observing what he's made. Um, to quote Calvin again, he would say, this world is a theater of God's glory. It exists to put God's glory on display. Um, second, maybe something we don't think about as much as conscience, meaning God created everyone as a moral being, right? We all believe in right and wrong. Christian, unbeliever, it doesn't matter. Where and each of us would draw the line between what right and wrong might change. It definitely changes if you're a Christian or an unbeliever. Um, but there is a line, and we agree with that. that that's what's relevant here. Right? Romans 2 speaks of this. He, it speaks of Gentiles who don't have God's law instinctively follow God's law. Um, for when Gentiles do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, through a law unto themselves even though they don't have the law. This shows that God has written the law on their hearts, right? If we're talking Exodus still, it's Exodus 20 that God says, don't steal and don't murder. It's not like we've gone all of Genesis 70 chapters so far, and God's like, murder's not that bad. But then 70 chapters into the Bible, he's like, you know, actually, we probably shouldn't kill each other. That, that, no, the, the law, the, the right and wrong, those instincts are baked into humanity so that sometimes when people who don't have God's law do what's right, they have a clean conscience about it. When they're wrong, their conscience condemns them, right? They, there's just this religious reflex in humanity where, I mean, the books I'm reading that are a couple hundred years old, they would say, in the history of humanity, there has never been a single civilization without religion, right? Religion is the centerpiece to society, to culture. Um, modern books do not make that claim anymore, but I would argue that secularism is just the same old religion, but disguised differently, right? Um, cancel culture because that's what's hot right now, I guess. It's the same as religion, right? There's things that are okay, and there are things that are wrong, and if you do what is wrong, you must pay the penalty, which is being canceled, whatever that means, right? Um, you know, informal religion, secularism, it's the same same religious instinct, just wearing a new dress. And, and so... Okay, maybe the lines get drawn in the wrong places between what's right and what's wrong. But the lines get drawn because God has revealed himself as a moral God by giving us this sense of morality. Um, and then the last category here is reason. Right? I should say cognition to make it three C's. But, but God's given us brains, right? Most of us. All of us. All of us have brains. Um, most of us use them. And so God, God gives us the ability to think, and we can know about God just by using the hardware that he's put inside of our heads, right? Christian or not, everybody has this. So you have uh, Plato and Aristotle there. They would argue, neither of them Christians, arguing that God has to exist. It's, it's the logical outcome. Um, if you want a Christian who argues from reason, Thomas Aquinas is famous for this, right? He would say, you know, building on what Aristotle said, that everything that is, is the effect of something 
else, right? Everything exists in cause and effect relationships. We are sitting in this room because somebody built this room and somebody made the bricks and the cinder block and whatever this stuff's made out of, asbestos, um, cardboard, I have no idea. Um, right? A tree doesn't just exist. A tree was planted by a seed, which came from another tree, which came from another seed, which came from another tree. You don't even exist by yourself. You're from your parents or from their parents, from their parents. And inevitably, you're going to get back to this first question of, all right, so where did the first chicken or the first egg, depending on how we're looking at this, come from, right? You can't just have infinite effects with no first cause. Something had to start the chain of events. Something had to knock down the first domino. What was that? Because you can't just always have effects. It has to have a cause somewhere. And our buddy uh, Aristotle would say, there has to be an unmoved mover. There ha Reason demands that there is a God. Or uh, Plato here, he would uh, talk about gradations, right? Not a Christian, but he's like, okay, we have this idea of something that's good and something that's better, right? I've had good cups of coffee. I've had better cups of coffee. What's the difference between a good cup of coffee and a better cup of coffee? And if you're Plato and you think deeply about these things, you would say the better cup is more similar to the best cup than the good cup is, right? Best cup's over here. Here's a good cup. Here's a better cup. It's closer to best. And so by having this category in our minds of better, it means there has to be something like the best. And to say there's something hot and something hotter it implies there has to be something hottest. The hotter is more like the fire than the hot is. And by having these gradations, right, it implies something at the top. Fire's not the hottest thing, but Plato didn't know, but it's fine. Um, and so he goes to say, if we have categories of good and more good, more righteous, more noble, more glorious, then there has to be something that that's compared to, and that something must be up in the heavens and divine, and we're going to call that God. Um, and so, so just by using reasons, we can know God to an extent. Um, I think I read about two dozen just rational arguments for God preparing about proportion and complexity and morality and beauty um, you know, Augustine, Rene Descartes, Immanuel Kant, C.S. Lewis, uh, Pascal, Plante, like there's a ton of these. And so it's not for a lack of argument that God is not known, right? God's made himself clear in creation. He's made himself clear through conscience. He's made himself clear through reason. But why do people not know God then? If it's so obvious. And, and the reason we don't perceive God through general revelation is sin, right? If we say that this world is a theater of God's glory like Kelvin did, the problem is that we are all stuck in the cheap seats with obstructed views, right? You go down to Little Caesars and you get in your seat and there's a massive column just sitting right in front of you. That's what it's like when we're trying to observe God's glory. 
Sin doesn't let us see God through creation clearly. Um, for one, creation is cursed, right? After Adam and Eve sin in Genesis 3, God curses the ground. Instead of fruitful plants, there's thorns and thistles. Uh, Romans 8, 18 through 25 makes it clear that creation is subjected to futility. So creation is failing at its job of accurately proclaiming God's character. Um, more than that, mankind is cursed by sin. Though we should see God plainly in creation, Romans 1.21, we don't. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, we read that our eyes have been blinded by Satan himself, so we don't see creation. And so there's this, um, there's urgency, right, of evangelism because of that. It, it's, it's funny, right? Romans 1 starts the book of Romans saying, creation proclaims the glory of God. Everyone should see this. Everyone should know. And then by the time you get to the end of Romans, in Romans 11, it says, how is someone going to believe unless there's a preacher that tells them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? Because creation isn't proclaiming the gospel. Therefore, it's upon Christians to do that. Because mankind is cursed, we can't see God in creation because of our sin. And furthermore, there's just this limitation, right? Wisdom, reason, won't ever get us to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We can argue for some divine being, but just like we can learn about Rembrandt through his paintings, we can never know the man through them. And so, so wisdom, um, what am I using? Reason can get us to believe in a unmoved mover or a perfect form of Aristotle or Plato, but just through wisdom and reason alone, we're never going to know the triune God of Scripture. And so general revelation is good, but it's not good enough to know God, right? It, it's, it's not worthless. And a lot of times we're like, well, if we can't get saved through general revelation, it's worthless which is not the right reflex to have. Um, general revelation means that when you're talking to your unbelieving neighbor, you can see the same things they can see about God in creation through reason, through the conscience, right? We're, we're all built the same with these Godward instincts in us. Um, General revelation means that all truth in the created universe is not found in this book, right? You can, arts and sciences exist for a reason, so that we can find out more true things, right? So there, there is, but there shouldn't be this divide between like, well, I'm a man of faith, I'm a man of science. That, that's a bad category to have, because God made... Scripture to proclaim his name, and God made creation to proclaim his name. Creation, science, and scripture, faith, they have the same end goal. They should work towards the same point. So we don't need to, um, you know, be unfair towards science and creation. Of course, sin has affected all of that. We need to keep that in mind. Um, we also see that, you know, how is God just? and condemning the man on an island who's never heard the gospel. Because it's not God's fault, right? God proclaimed himself clearly and through creation and conscience. He's made 
uh, Romans one twenty one himself known. But it's the man that doesn't understand God. It's not God who's not speaking to the man. So God is just. Um, but back to you know, the main question. How do we know God? If we can't know God in any substantial sense through general revelation, what's the solution? And that would be special revelation. Um, and by special revelation, all I mean is God speaking, right? Speaking clearly. Um, but here's Herman Boving, just to make things more confusing. He writes, special revelation, according to scripture, has occurred in the form of a historical process, which culminates in the person and work of Christ, right? We already said God makes himself known in Jesus. Boving says the same thing. But when Christ has appeared and is again taken up into heaven, Special revelation does not immediately cease. Still to come then is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the extraordinary operation of powers and gifts through and under the guidance of the apostles. Without doubt, Scripture still counts as its belonging to the era of special revelation. And the continuation of this revelation in the apostolic age was necessary to give special revelation, which had culminated in Christ, permanence and stability in the midst of the world. A permanence and stability in the text of scripture as well as in the existence of the church. So what, what he's saying is, if we want to know God in the most clear, in the most, in the, mo in the best way possible, how do we know God through a special revelation? The answer is you look at Jesus Christ, right? If you have the option between, you know, Maybe this is a bad comparison. Between this book and Jesus Christ himself to know God, you want Jesus. Jesus is the pinnacle of God's revelation. Hebrews 1 would tell you that much. However, if you look around the room, like Jesus isn't physically standing here. And so special revelation has continued past Jesus through the apostles so that we have this book so that we can know God through Christ through the word that tells us about Christ. And so when, when we talk about special revelation nowadays, we're primarily talking about scripture. Um, and next week I'm going to cover a doctrine of scripture um, that says the Bible is necessary, inspired, true, analogical, authoritative, sufficient, clear, efficacious. And then after the holidays, we'll add the Bible as trustworthy. Um, but... I want to, with the rest of my not very much time, talk about how special revelation got here, right? Because normally we just jump to, um, yeah, God gave us a book. But it's, that's true for us. But has that always been true, right? So I haven't done the math on this. You can fact check me with a calculator and a highlighter if you want. I think it would be hard in scripture to find an action given to God more than God speaking, right? Um, one of the common ways that the true living God is differentiated from false, dumb idols, take dumb in whatever definition you want, um, is that God speaks, right? I have a couple of scriptures up there, right? But, but more than God just speaking, God speaks in human 
in intelligible languages, right? He speaks with words we can understand through people, through writing. Sometimes he speaks through donkeys, right? The fact that God speaks in human language is just one of those things I've never actually took time to consider. But it's a divine mercy that God uses human language. So I have a buddy. You give him a baby, right? And he's like, what's up, baby? That's not how you hold a baby, just one hand by the head. You know, what's up, baby? How's it going? You catch the game last night? What are you thinking about, you know, the economy? How, how, how's your portfolio doing? And he, he never does the goo-goo-ga-ga kind of baby talk. And it's a funny shtick for a minute, right? Just talking to a kid. Because it's like, how's your portfolio? Like, he's six weeks old. Like, he has no idea anything about the economy or what you're saying. Um, but... More than it being funny for the parents, what Chris, I'm not going to say Chris's name because he's anonymous, right? Um, what my friend is doing is he's not communicating with the baby, right? To speak in words that the person you're talking to doesn't understand is a failure of communication, right? For a baby, you need the gaga goo-goos. I was... It doesn't matter. I was watching a ton of Miss Rachel videos just about language development with toddlers last night because it's the kind of thing I do. Um, but God, being kind, being merciful, he condescends, instead of using divine language, whatever that even sounds like. Like, I'm sure, I'm not sure, but I would suspect the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit aren't speaking Greek to each other. But when God speaks to his New Testament churches, he speaks in Greek. He speaks in baby talk or in creature talk that we can understand, right? Revelation assumes accommodation that God stoops down to our level to communicate with us. That's the only way the finite can talk with the infinite. Um, from the very beginning of studying theology, right, week one, we're saying when we talk about revelation, we're talking about the mercy of God. We can know God because he is gracious. He stooped down below what is proper for him. So he could speak to creatures like us, just like you would stoop down below yourself to gaga goo goo with a cute little baby. Um, so more than just speaking to us, though, God also tells us what we need to know. Um, and so here I want to talk just a second about the canon of Scripture, right? Which is basically the collection of divine words that God's people need. Um, Wayne Gruden says, canon of Scripture is the list of all the books that belong in the Bible. That, yes. Um, but that's the end point. I want to talk just a second about the formation, right? Because having a canon, a list of books, a grouping of divine words is also a mercy from God, right? Who's ever given their kid more information than they needed and it's caused distress, questions, um, you know, confusion, overwhelming? I've done that. Anybody else ever tell their kids too much and it's hard on them? Or anybody ever tell their kids too little and then they can't actually do what you want them to do? I've done that as well. God doesn't make either of those mistakes when he's talking to his people, right? So Adam and Eve in the garden, they did not get a Bible, right? Um, 
they didn't need a letter to the Romans because Rome didn't exist and Paul didn't exist and he wasn't trying to get to Spain who didn't exist. They didn't need Ezekiel's prophecies. They didn't even need the book of Genesis. What Adam and Eve needed in the garden to have fellowship with himself was to be fruitful, to keep the earth, to subdue it, eat whatever you want except for that one tree. And as mankind needed more and more information, God gave them more and more information. The, the promises, the revelation, it was meant to compound and be passed on from one generation to another um, as they needed it, right? So initially this meant that God's word was passed on orally. Like Bob's, right? Not, not everybody could read. There wasn't a literary culture in the beginning, and so the, the words, the oral traditions were passed down instead of a book. Um, I mean, Genesis wasn't even written until Moses had some free time out in the wilderness for 40 years with the people. Um, so he wrote down all of those traditions. But like, we, we know this, right? We know this. In, a lot of people have a problem with this. It's like, wait a second. We haven't always had the written Bible. But you read Noah's story. Why did God give Noah a rainbow? Because God said, this is the sign of the covenant for all future generations. Look, in the sky, you have a rainbow to remind you of my promises. It's not until uh, Exodus 17 that we have commands to even start writing this stuff down. And then a few chapters later, Exodus 20, we get the Ten Commandments. And that's kind of the beginning of the Bible, right? And it gets added to as more and more people need to hear more and more from God. Um, and this is fine. Like, we don't need to be concerned about this um, because it's not like the written words themselves are more inspired than God's spoken words. Um, God's word is mediated all kinds of ways. He, I don't know how this works, but apparently God's own hand wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets for Moses, Right? I have no idea what God's penmanship looks like. Maybe we can find the Ark of the Covenant and find out. And that's God's word. And it's just as authoritative as God's word spoken through Moses. And that's the same power as God's word spoken into the emptiness of creation in Genesis 1, or words from heaven at Jesus' baptism, or words through Jesus' mouth as he walked the earth. Right? It, his, his words are always his words, no matter how they're mediated. Um, so let me skip over Deuteronomy and go to Second Peter here. Peter would even say, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And, um, I mean, Paul, when he's speaking to the Thessalonians, he didn't see a difference between his sermons he preached his conversations in the foyer, and the Bible he wrote to them. Um, he put in 2 Corinthians 2.15, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So, so Paul says the book of 2 Thessalonians has just as much authority in your life as the Sunday school class I taught at your church last year, Right? But you know what the difference between Paul's Sunday school class and his letter to the Thessalonians is? For us? We have one, and we don't have the other. 
right? There, there's, there's information that God gave the Thessalonians because they needed it through Paul that we don't necessarily need. And so in his kindness, God kept us from having it, right? We could have somebody's notebook from Sunday school class, but we don't because there's some words we need and there's some words that only they needed. And so God gave us this book, the Bible, with exactly what it contains because that's what we need to know him and to worship him rightly. He doesn't give us more like extra commands that would limit our freedom, right? He doesn't tell us, hey, here's stuff. I don't really care about it, but you guys seem to like rules. Just have these extra rules that don't matter. No, God wants us to have freedom or we have freedom. And he doesn't give us less than we need to know in order to glorify him and worship him. He gives us special revelation so that we would know him and we would have everything we need for life, and for godliness, to be saved and to be sanctified and to come home to glory. Because ultimately, revelation comes from God, whether it's through natural revelation or through specific revelation, so that we might know him. Um, Herman Bovink, one more time. He says, finally, the purpose and goal of special revelation is God's own Trinitarian glory, his delight in himself. The aim of Revelation is to recreate humanity after the image of God, to establish the kingdom of God on earth, to redeem the world from the power of sin, and thus glorify the name of the Lord in all of his creatures. And so, you know, I asked in the beginning, why did God do the things he did in the book of Exodus? Because he wanted to make his name known. That, that's God's purpose in kind of all things. Is God wants to be known as God. He wants to receive the worship that he is rightfully due. And to do that, he makes himself known. He makes himself known through creation, through conscience, through reason. And he makes himself known through special revelation, through his son, Jesus Christ, and ultimately recorded in the Bible. Um, and because I didn't let Sue sing another song, we have time for maybe one or two questions if we want to. Um, you guys have qu qu this. Here's my here's my thinking. This week is like I've never like this stuff makes sense, but I've never really thought about it. And next week is like, oh yeah, the Bible. This now I'm comfortable. I'm on familiar territory. But I'm guessing some of this, it's not brand new to you, but something we don't spend time on. Anything I can clarify for us? If you're taking pictures of the quotes, you can, you can have this, or you can email me and I'll give you notes. I'm happy to do either of those. Any questions, things I can clarify? Things that don't quite make sense yet? Do we have time? I have a question. Yeah. Back on page, I don't know, 14, you said, um, and I don't know exactly if I remember, the overlap with ancient religions. What did you mean by that? Oh, yeah. So, I didn't say it because I wanted to not yeah. go over. So, what, is general, what are the benefits of general revelation? Uh, if you, not anymore. Back, in, back when I had time to watch TV, you turn on History Channel this time of year, and they're like, 
Well, all the ancient Mesopotamian religions say that there is a God born of a virgin. And so Christianity isn't anything special. It's just a copycat of every other ancient religion. Jesus isn't special. You know, go buy presents and put up a tree, but don't worship Jesus at Christmas. If you turn on the History Channel today, it will be a, a pawn shop or aliens. But back, in, back when there's history on the History Channel, that would be kind of their MO around Christmas and Easter. And general revelation says, no, there are truths about God and about the universe that are baked into every person who exists. The reason that ancient religions have this impulse, this pull towards the virgin birth of a God is because that's the center of reality. There's a grav reality has a gravitational pull that pulls people in. And so every ancient Near Eastern religion um, is going to have these kind of big picture ideas. Like every religion believes that dragons are the enemies of the people. And it's like, why is that? Because the serpent in the garden is at the middle of our story. Sin is. Everybody believes in sacrifice. Why? Because God is a God who demands sacrifices. And so general revelation doesn't say, oh, I guess all of this is true. But it explains why false religions have kind of this, I'm going to say this LaCroix-ian flavor of Christianity. Where it's like, if you drink a LaCroix, it's like, this is mango. And you're like, there's no flavor whatsoever. But I guess there's maybe some mango in it. Um, ancient religions are like, yeah, I can see an essence of truth in this because God's put that truth in all of us and we're all pulled in that direction. But if you have these instincts of worshiping a God born of a virgin and a ton of sin and ignorance in you, what's it going to look like? It's going to look like the ancient Canaanite religions. It's going to look like Baal worship. It's going to look like worshiping Molech. Because general revelation isn't quite enough to get us to the truth, but it, it shows us why those instincts happen. Right? The fact that gravity exists in England as well as in the U.S. isn't mean like, oh, Newton was a liar and gravity's not real. No, it proves his point because what he said exists there. It's true everywhere, and it just shows the, tr show the truth of gravity in the same way kind of the similar stories in ancient religions go to show the truth of Christianity, and general revelation helps us to get to that point. I'm going to use LaCroix in as much as possible now. All right, well, let me pray for us, and then we will dismiss for worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't dwell in secrecy, but that you have made yourself known. That you have made yourself known in Jesus Christ and in your word and through a, a general revelation. So we pray that since this is what you desire, that we would desire to know you. That as we go into worship, as we hear your word preached, as we pray and as we sing your praises, that you would help us to know you and to worship you in a way that is worthy of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.